Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today likes to create stories that will make readers laugh and cry. Speaking of her writing, she says, I find myself motivated to write about the topics that worry me the most. Since I worry about a great many things, there is never a shortage of material. Her debut novel, Stage 7, was honored as a book of the month by bookclubs.com, a global online platform reaching 50,000 book clubs. It was also a selection for Summer Reads program presented by HFC, an Alzheimer's awareness organization. She had her own public relations and advertising agency for many years, but left agency work to take up creative writing, her real passion. She has written three novels and two plays, including a dark comedy that was the finalist in the Gary Marshall Theater New Works competition. In her spare time, she enjoys travel, hiking, hip-hop, and step classes, yoga, Broadway musicals, wine tasting, and visiting her grandsons in New York City. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Ruth F. Stevens. Thank you, Julia. Hi, and um, I love your show and what you're doing for us uh, mature authors. So thank you for having me on. It's great thank to be here. You. Ruth, what took you so long to write your first book? Well, I've always been a writer. So professionally, I was involved in, in public relations and advertising, mainly PR. So I was every day I was writing press releases and articles and speeches and so forth. So by the end of the day, the last thing I wanted to do was sit at the computer and do creative writing. So that's really why I put it off until I retired from my, my day job. Well, you and I followed pretty much the same path. I was in public relations and marketing too, but writing those press releases doesn't quite prepare us for writing fiction, does it? <laughs> it you know, yes and no. I think that to some degree, writing is writing and you, you learn editing skills and uh, learn how to focus and organize material. So I think it actually did help me a lot. But yeah, it, it's a tough transition in other ways. Yes, I think learning the craft or a new software or a new app or anything new, I have to go take a class or many classes to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that remains an, an ongoing challenge for me. I started when, when I decided to try writing, I knew I wanted to do some writing um, after I retired, but I didn't know if I could write a book. I really didn't know if I 
had it in me to write a novel. So I first wrote a play because I've always loved theater and I felt like dialogue seemed a little easier and plays are short. (laughs) So that was how I started, actually. And it was was a good transition. Once I did started writing novels, I too liked the fact that you could expand the story so much and get inside it a character's head and uh, all that kind of thing. So, Well, once you did write this book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to use a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? Um, I did most of the above, actually. Um, I looked for an agent for over a year, I would say, and then I actually did sign with an agent um, and was with her for about a year did not renew the contract. I won't get into the reasons for that. But at that point, I'd spent over two years, you know, trying to market this book and I couldn't go to another agent. So um, I thought about small presses, but that's, that can be, take a long time too. And then even if you get a contract, there's a long wait, waiting period. So I started to look at hybrid presses. I have friends who self-publish very happily, but I didn't want to do that myself and have to put together every aspect of the book. So I liked the way hybrid publishers are, are a nice cross between the self-publishing and traditional. And so that was what I did with Stage 7. Um, well, they've become quite popular. Uh, the hybrid yeah. presses because it's it's so nice to have a partner in the business. It is. It is. And, and they, they do a lot, or at least the good ones. You have to be careful. Um, there are a lot of them out there that are not so great. And uh, you've got to do your research. The, the costs can vary tremendously. But it is more expensive than self-publishing, for sure. But you get a lot of support. Of course, you've got to pay for that. Well, I think we all invest in ourselves and our work one way or the other. So I don't know that that's any different than what most of us do anyway. How did writing that first book change your process of writing or did it? Uh, it, it did a bit. I found that when I was writing the first book, I wrote it the way I would write a press release, which was that I was constantly self-editing as I went along over and over and over. I would just rework a sentence many times and eventually I learned that with creative writing, I think it, it is more creative and more productive to just kind of let, let the prose flow and then go back later and fine tune it. So I think that was the main thing that changed for me. I think that's very interesting. You know, a lot of us say that we, we dream our characters or, or we wake up and after a dream, we've, you know, decided that, this is the way that the direction should go in the novel. And so that stream of consciousness, I think, does come into play there. Yeah, it does. And for me, walking is great. There are a lot of times I, w- I will go for a walk and think about the characters and what they might do. And I've had many ideas come to me that way. Um, and plus, the characters do. Um, uh, this is my favorite part when the characters take on their own lives Like there's a scene in my book where Barbara, the main character, I won't get into any spoilers, but she has to make an important decision. And she makes the decision to kind of run away from something. And shortly after she's run away from it, she decides, oh, no, I'm I'm going back. 
and uh, changes her mind. And I didn't know she was going to do that, at least not at that point in the book. It, it, it was her. It wasn't me. At least that's the way it felt. They really do come to life. They do. They do. And, and my book, Stage 7, um, was originally a play. I wrote it as a play. And it was produced, so I actually got to see the characters on stage. And that was a whole other level of excitement, to see the characters come to life and to see an audience reacting. And did anything change from watching them on stage to going into the book? The story remains the same, but of course the book digs a lot deeper because uh, I think that the plays, the script is maybe 16,000 words and the novel is 85,000. So you've got a lot more characters and backstory and, and much more going on. But the basic storyline uh, did not change in any significant ways. What was your inspiration for this book? Uh, there were two things. My mother had Alzheimer's during the final years of her life. She had been a very active, brilliant woman, a community leader, and um, she was reduced to kind of a, a very contented but childlike state in her final years. And I knew that I wanted to write about that, but not a memoir in, in a fictional way. And around the same time this was going on, I have a good friend whose um, parents were uh, both in a memory care facility. And my friend's sister was going every day to visit them. And she met and fell in love with an older man who was also there every day visiting his wife, who was had very advanced dementia. And these two people fell in love. And I thought, I didn't know these people, but I thought it was a great story and very romantic and, you know, a lot of potential conflict in there with family members and that kind of thing. So those two threads, uh, the, the age gap romance and my uh, mother's dementia kind of wove together in my head and they turned into the play and the book that were called Stage 7. What does the title mean, Stage 7? Stage 7 actually refers to the, um, the final, most devastating stage of, of Alzheimer's disease. And the reason I used that title is that Barbara, the, the narrator, um, she's a lovely person, really a, a sweet, lovely, caring woman, but she's kind of a control freak. And she was always trying to chart what stage her mother might be in of Alzheimer's. And like, if she could keep track of it, she could control it somehow. Uh, newsflash, that doesn't really work very well. <laughs> Well, I hear so many people going through this um, with their loved ones, and luckily that hasn't happened in my family yet, but I'm, I'm thinking that it might be me. So, you know, I'm always worried about not knowing my children one day. You are lucky that that, that hasn't happened. And um, my mother, she actually did know us right to the end. That That was... It's, it's a weird disease. It's different with everybody. And she was clueless about so many things, but she always knew her family. And that, that was a blessing for us. Well, that, 
that's going to be something that I hang on to then. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. And, but I have found, I've met with a lot of book clubs uh, to talk about this book. And even I was shocked to find that maybe half of the people that I've met in these group discussions have had personal experience with dementia, a parent, a spouse. I knew it was prevalent, but I didn't realize it was that prevalent. Well, that's a real platform for you and, and a way to open doors to be able to tell this story and and to have great discussions. I found the same thing in with my first book about adoption. There, there are like 100 million people in the U.S. who uh, have adoption in their immediate families. And I'm sure the same thing for, for that terrible disease that you're writing about, too. So that really does become a great Great kickoff for the discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. Ruth, why don't you tell us a little bit about the passages that you've brought to share today and then read from your book so we can hear your tone and voice. I will be glad to do that. Uh, here it is. And actually, from the, uh, I'm going to start by reading a little bit of the jacket copy because I think that sets the scene very well for what I'm going to read. Barbara Gordon is a self-reliant, divorced mom, brilliant at managing her life with lists and spreadsheets. Lately, though, the demands of a teenage daughter, a manipulative sister, and a mother with worsening Alzheimer's are more than she can handle. Then Barbara meets Jack, an appealing older man, married to a late-stage dementia patient who no longer knows him. Jack and Barbara hold the power to make each other happy, but only if Barbara can break her long cycle of romantic abstinence. So... The scene that I'm going to read, Barbara and Jack have been getting to know each other day to day, and and they finally went out for a drink together for the first time. And shortly after that, Barbara goes to visit the manipulative older sister, and uh, she lets slip that she's had a drink with this man. And we begin with Vicky, the sister's reaction. Are you effing kidding me? Vicky shot up in her chair, assuming a pose of rigid attention. Given the depth of her consternation, you might think I had just announced plans for gender change surgery or perhaps a defection to Russia. I cannot believe you are dating this man. I'm not dating him. We both left at the same time and decided on impulse to have a glass of wine together. I don't know why you have to sound so disapproving. Uh, for one thing, he is uh, married. She spoke in that same tone my daughter always used whenever she said, duh. So the two women argue for, for a few minutes about whether it's appropriate for Barbara to see Jack. And then finally, Vicky says, maybe you should create a spreadsheet to analyze this. You could list all the reasons in favor of a relationship in column A and all the reasons against in column B. That's not a bad idea, I said. Vicky threw up her hands in the air. It's a terrible idea, Barb. I was joking. You can't let an Excel program decide your life for you, she groaned. I'm sure Jack is a great guy, but you can't expect me to jump for joy over you getting involved with a man who's more than 20 years your senior and who's caring for a sick wife. It could mean a world of hurt for you. Besides, Ma needs your attention now more than ever. The flaps of my tent started folding inward yet again. I guess you're right, but maybe I'm agreeing only to please you. Vicky gazed up at the kitchen clock. Look, I don't have time for this discussion. I got up to leave. One more thing. The nurse would like to meet with us tomorrow. It's Ma's one-month evaluation. You name the time. No way. 
We're doing inventory tomorrow and it'll be a madhouse. But the nurse said it's important for both of us to, the nurse needs to understand the division of labor in our family. You manage Ma, I manage the company. The real issue, I said, is you can't bear to be around tropical gardens. Well, I admit hanging out with the inmates is not my favorite pastime, though it may be my most expensive. Vicky never missed an opportunity to grumble about the fees. Do you think I find it amusing? I do it for Ma. I know, and I stand in awe of you for that. The elder care gene is not in my DNA, Vicky said. If I spent a full day there, I think my head would explode. And your solution is to put it all on me. Honey, it's not like that. It's a time issue. In addition to a demanding business, I've got Martin. I've got Daisy. I've got a million things on my plate. Like it or not, that's my life. Oh, right, I said. That's your life. Excuse me for losing sight of that important fact. There's only one thing I'd like to know, Vicki. When do I get to have a life? Amen, sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of readers relate to that. And even you don't have to have had any experience with dementia. But if you've had a parent uh, who needs care, is no longer mm -hmm. independent, the burden of care is usually not uh, evenly distributed. And if, if it is, you're really lucky. And siblings don't always have the equal amounts of responsibility in families, I've found out as well. Yeah, and that was uh, definitely part of the inspiration for my story, was my personal experience with that. So, yeah, for sure. That was a great passage. Thank you. Yeah, I try to show, it, the problem with writing a book about Alzheimer's is that a lot of people are turned off when they hear that. It's like, oh, no thanks, I'll pass on that one. And, and I get that, I really do. But, but the book has a lot of humor in it and it has a very heartwarming romance and readers love that and they really like it, you know, once they get past the, oh, it's about Alzheimer's. Well, I, I think that's going to touch a lot of people. That's a significant issue today. And I love that you have humor in there. Well, thank you. I, th I think that's, to me, what's unique about this book, that it, it's dealing with a very serious and tragic subject, but it does have the humor and the romance. And uh, I think it's a little unusual in the way it combines those different elements. Ruth, you were in public relations. How does that assist you in the challenges that authors face when publicizing their own work? Uh, probably not as well as you might think, because the kind of PR I did was for industrial and uh, trade companies and really different kind of platform. Um, certainly, it does help that I understand the basics. And I have uh, reached out to get on programs like yours and, uh, you know, do interviews and uh, write ups and things like that. Uh, but it, it's a different world. The publishing world is very specialized. So it, it, if you can find help and can afford help in that area, um, I, I would recommend considering it. Publishers don't do as much as you might think. Um, I've, I've heard that even the major publishers don't do so much unless you are one of their top handful of authors. So a lot is left up to, to the author to make it happen. It really is. And 
I hear that more than not because authors would rather be writing than publicizing and promoting themselves. So that that does become an issue for many of them. It's a it's a big issue for me right now because I'm I'm out there trying to promote stage seven and maintain interest in that book. I'm getting ready for publication of my second novel in the fall, and I'm trying to find a home for my third novel. So each one of those is a major project, and uh, it kind of sucks the creative juices right out of you, i got to say. so It really does. You do get bogged down in trying to do promotion and and the writing falls by the wayside so tell us a little bit about book two and three okay well book two um i'll focus on that one because it is coming out uh, hopefully in the next six months and it's called my year of casual acquaintances and um, it's about a 50 year old divorced woman which barbara also happens to be i i seem to gravitate toward 50 year olds. I think it's an interesting age to write about. You're, you're not, you're no longer young, but you're not old either, at least not to me. (laughs) And, uh, but, but this woman is a very different character and she's bitter about her recent divorce. Her husband has left her for someone else and she's just cut herself off from her entire past life and determined she's not going to commit to anybody. She's going to have fun. So the book is kind of episodic and the title, My Year of Casual Acquaintances, every month she kind of meets up with a different person, not necessarily a romantic interest, but sometimes. And she, so each month has a kind of story of its own, but this, this overriding arc of what happens to her in the course of the year. So, so it's definitely a lighter subject, but also dealing with some serious issues about loss and loneliness and the need for human connection. So, well, you know, there's so many of us, the majority of books sold in the U.S. and maybe the world are bought by older women, those of us over the age of 50. So we like to see ourselves and our age group in those books. We do. It's true. Um, Although we like to read about younger characters, too. But there's a market for both. I mean, there are so many readers out there and so many books way too many books actually, but that's, <laughs> that's part of uh, the reality right now. It's, it's changed a lot in the last 10 or 20 years. Yeah. I have a good friend who's been publishing for 25 or 30 years. And she said when she started, it was easy to get it. If you wanted an agent, you went out, you got an agent. That's um, very different today. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think there's something like 2 million books published in the, or titles published in the U.S. every year. And that's hard to raise our hand and try to be found anywhere, you know, so it, it makes it very difficult. Yeah, it, it does. But it's, it's still rewarding. You know, I find when a reader says to me, boy, I loved the book or I hated to see it end. Um, I feel like it makes it worth it. And that's that's been uh, been wonderful for me. Never get tired of that. No, that's been my favorite part of publishing is is hearing from readers who aren't our family members, aren't our friends. They're just a stranger who picked yeah. up the book. My daughter in Cincinnati told me yesterday she had given one of 
her first graders teachers, one of my books. And she said, she just rushed up to me and was gushing about your book. And I just felt so happy about that because my granddaughter got to hear, you know, her teacher talk about my book, her grandmother's book. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That's really exciting. Um, Another thing that's been really rewarding is I've joined a group called All's Authors, and it's it's an online a nonprofit organization, and it's all authors and books that have to do with dementia. And I mean, a lot of them are memoirs, caregiver guides, but there's fiction and poetry and children's books. And I, I um, am honored to be part of that group. I've connected with a lot of great authors and a lot of great readers. And I'm doing some volunteer work for them now. And so that's, uh, that's kind of broadened my goals beyond what I initially thought. I, I wrote stage seven as an entertainment. You know, I hoped people would laugh and cry. Um, and they did, but, but some people say the book helps them or comforts them or gives them hope. So that's very unexpected, but exciting for me. Very rewarding. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it is. Are there any specific books or seminars or writing retreats or groups that you can share that improved your writing journey? Well, I'm, I'm a bad example. I have to admit, I have never taken a creative writing class or a workshop or anything like that. Um, uh, but I, I did learn uh, along the way, the value of working with other writers. I joined a critique group where we spent a lot of work on my second and third novels. And um, it, it's really amazing the impact, the, the feedback you get from other writers and how helpful it can be. Um, you have to be careful. Some some writing groups are, are very negative and some are just the opposite where everybody just sits and smiles and says, oh yeah, that's really nice, which isn't helpful at all. You know, you really need need to to get the reactions of other readers, especially ones who are are good writers themselves. So, so that that's my main advice. And then there are a few books. Dreyer's English. It's a style guide. It was published not very long ago, and I refer to this a lot. And it's actually entertaining reading for a style guide. You can sit and read it like a novel. Um, and Stephen King's On Writing is a classic, but a, a, what I'd recommend. And my current editor, Becky Marietta, recommended this one, John Gardner, John um, Gardner's The Art of Fiction. And I have, I have just only started this one, but I pointed out to her that the subhead is Notes on Craft for Young Writers. And she assured me that writers of any age can benefit from reading this book. So books are not expensive and you can really, you can get a lot out of them. That's those sound like three good recommendations for our listeners today. Well, hopefully. Ruth, does your family support you and as a writer? Do they support your career? Are they surprised by your career or you've always done this? So they just take it in stride? Um, they absolutely supported my husband and my son and his family and other relatives. I think they're all a little surprised that I threw myself into this uh, as soon as I retired from the uh, the other kinds of writing. But yeah, totally supportive. So that's been helpful. 
Would you say that you have any writing kryptonite? Is there anything that will weaken you, stop you from writing? Well, I think what I described earlier about what I'm trying to do with my three books at the same time. Yep, that that'll do it. <laughs> There's another writer that I've gotten to know who's lovely and and she wrote to me recently and said, "Oh, remember those wonderful days when all we had to worry about was the writing?" <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I do. I'm kind of nostalgic for those times now. <laughs> you know, that's why sometimes I before COVID, I loved writing retreats because we could take a class in the morning, we could write all afternoon, come back together with other writers for dinner. And it was just such a refreshing and motivating time because we were away from our our home. We didn't have to worry about meals or walking the dogs. And it was just <laughs> such a lovely time. So I missed that. Yeah. yeah. I could see that. Although COVID for me was a really productive time because there wasn't a whole lot else you could do. So I was never bored. Uh, I, I wrote probably one and a half books during COVID. Well, you know, you're one of the unusual ones because most writers I've heard from just say that they didn't get anything accomplished. And now you've become very productive in COVID. So that's that's a great twist. <laughs> it is. My, my post-COVID track record so far is not not so great if we can call this post-COVID <laughs> well Ruth as always our last interview question is our writers over 50 are quite a unique set do you have any advice for writers 50 and above well a couple of things um, for one thing don't think well hey I'm I'm too old because I'm not only 50 I'm 70 or whatever, because my first book didn't come out until I was 70. So it's not too late. And the other thing I think I've already touched on is, is don't try to go it alone. Um, I, I was a lone ranger through my two plays and my first book. And only later did I realize the value of, of working with other writers. And I mean, of course, I, I had readers after I would write something, but it, it's, I think it's better to be in, engaging other writers while you're, while it's a work in progress. Um, and also the other thing is to set a, set a goal for yourself before you set out. And that might sound dumb, like, you know, well, yeah, the goal is to be a published author, but I would look beyond that because there are so many ways you can approach it. And I know of a man who he's a retired executive and he writes poetry. And he self-publishes poetry, I think two or three volumes, beautifully produced, you know, beautifully printed. And he signs copies and gives them to his friends and family and gets tremendous pleasure from this. And that's all he wants to do. So there, maybe that's you, or maybe you're very ambitious and you want to make this into your, your next full-time job. And maybe it's somewhere in between, but I'd say think think it through and try to set some realistic goals and make a plan for what you want and what you don't want. I think that's great advice because writing success is something different for all of us. Just like you said, we might be putting down memories to to leave to our children, but all of these books are legacies and you're always already quite accomplished and to be able to see your 
your play on stage is something that all of us probably would want to see. So thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise with us today. And we're happy to say that you're now counted among our authors over 50. Yay. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. It's been great talking to you today. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third. <music>